The popularity of online ordering has skyrocketed in the last year due to the worldwide pandemic. For restaurants, this means digital ordering and delivery has grown three times faster than dine-in traffic since 2014. This has provided an opportunity for restaurants to stay afloat through the pandemic. Even in normal times, 60% of restaurants fail within a year and 80% never see their fifth anniversary. This surge is leading an accelerated growth of ghost kitchens. What are ghost kitchens? Well, we'll go over exactly what they are and how they're changing the way you will experience food for good. Welcome to THC, where we unpack the ever-changing technology economy. Hang out with Jed, Shikar, and Adrian as we tackle the industries of tomorrow. This is Things Have Changed. The last year has been one that's just filled with change, just because everything, um, almost every industry got disrupted, whether it was oil going zero or... um, Manufacturing getting hurt. We spoke about the, the chips that got affected. Life, in essence, got disrupted, and industries that revolve around leisure, like hotels, restaurants, were probably the worst hit. Right? You had COVID. Suddenly, you have uh, countrywide orders to stay at home, and so now restaurants could not operate. So, what did we see? What were the big secular trends that kind of emerged from last year? Delivery, right? So delivery has always been a thing. Like I grew up in India and we used to get pizzas delivered in the late 90s. So this is 20 years ago. And it's not a new concept, but the fact that the world has become so lazy, if you can call it, you look for ideal mates on your phone. Jed does not, will never find one. So, you know, that's not going to (laughs) happen. Uh, you curb me before I can say something yeah. smart, but let me just say, dude, lazy could also be efficient. That's it what could be. It could be. We'll say, but no, um, like now you order food on your delivery app, which is super common. But where is that food actually coming from? On your app, you see a restaurant, but it could just be a kitchen and with no dining privileges. All it does, all it serves is to give you food through a third-party vendor. There's a term for it. It's called either invisible kitchens or ghost kitchens or cloud kitchens. You know, to figure out why do cloud kitchens exist, you know, we can go back to how COVID affected restaurants. When the pandemic first hit us in March, shutdowns were worldwide and the economy froze. And restaurants had no capability for dining in. So put them in a difficult position to either go out of business or think outside the box and figure out what other options do we have? What can we do? So what restaurants did was they, you know, they had the opportunity and ability to take advantage of all these food delivery apps that have come out and really gotten our attention. Um, Uber Eats, Caviar, Postmates, there's so many apps and options. And restaurants turn to these companies to basically put their menus online and have people pick up their food or have it delivered to their doorsteps. 
at some point, restaurants probably already had this with maybe 5% or 10% at the most of the revenue. But through COVID, it was 100%. All of their revenue was dependent on delivery. Yeah, that's, we had an entire episode on how Uber was saved by Uber Eats. Just think about like how many restaurants converted to delivery only during that period. It was nuts. They had to find ways to make money. And a lot of people who were um, trying to avoid being part of Uber Eats and getting charged such a large premium, they had to do it in order to survive. And then the fact that cloud kitchens, uh, invisible kitchens are getting more popular, you know, that's just that's just another step to optimize. Like low capex like how do you expand during this period where it's hard to get capex you know what i mean like when your industry is dying like what do you do the highest cost that a restaurant pays is the rent that they pay or the land that they own you don't really need a dine-in setup you could just provide the same quality of food probably even more because you're now more focused on creating good food for your consumers and you leverage platforms like DoorDash, Caviar, Uber Eats to deliver the food. You can see the value proposition in this idea where you know you have low capex but still maximize how much revenue you can generate. I mean not just capex, right? Like even operational costs are going to be cheaper. Because normally think about the decision of a restaurant to either do brick and mortar versus delivery only model, right? Let's say 100% delivery only model. The choices that you would have a mix of those, um, the brick and mortar versus the delivery, because a lot of people have to function during that time, right? They had to go to delivery only. Like if you had a dine-in model with a delivery only, you would have to dedicate staff to be tending to you know, the delivery options. And, you know, who knows, the experience in the restaurant could be shitty if you had people coming in and out, which is what we see today. You know, you're at a restaurant and there's this Uber Eats guy trying to get in front of you and he's just like, dude, I need to get my Uber Eats order. You know what I mean? Like that disrupts the experience of the brick and mortar store as well. So the value prop of having a complete like cloud kitchen setup is so huge because then you can outsource as a brick and mortar store. If I was a brick and mortar store, I can outsource all my deliveries to this one location. And if I was even trying to set something up um, without the brick and mortar component, right? Like it's much cheaper to do everything. Like we said, CapEx and even OpEx um, operating expenditures when you start a cloud kitchen. HelloFresh, um, a company that's doing meal prep kits, they've been around since 2011. They don't have any storefront, so they've been already working with these kitchens since 2011 uh, to prepare food, have these kits, and then send them out to people at their doorsteps. So it's been around for quite some time, but I think this whole pandemic and COVID really accelerated the value that restaurants see in cl- cloud kitchens and a change in consumer preferences. And we're even seeing groceries uh, start to adapt the way they present their food. Um, If you've walked in Whole Foods, you'll see that they have meal kits now um, for people to just grab and make at home later. So they see that these kitchens that are creating these foods uh, on site is a threat. So this this whole idea kind of um, came more to the fore. Uh, You know, everyone's aware of that old Travis Kalanick uh, episode with Uber where, you know, he 
there was a disagreement, he left, and he has access to these incredibly wealthy people, as well as owning $2 billion of Uber stock. And he decides to get into this space. And what a great time for him to get into the space because it was probably, what, six, eight months where he went like live with Cloud Kitchens. Uh, seven months prior to COVID, basically. So now people started talking about it. Oh, okay, this is actually genius. You know, prior to this, it was there was a lot of skepticism towards it. And now you're seeing this huge wave um, of such entities not only in the U.S., but across the world and largely in Asia. Um, it, it, it probably deserves its own episode because like, and we'll probably cover it in a future episode where we go deep into food tech in Asia because it is so fascinating and they always seem to be a step ahead of where the rest of the world is. One, one thing close to, you know, where I'm from is like India, right? And you have a Starbucks version of India, uh, in India, which has been, you know, big for like 20, 30 years. Um, it's just called Coffee Day, right? Uber actually invested in Coffee Day to create, because they have such a huge network of um, retail locations, they could potentially use some of them and convert them into kitchens that they could just service with Uber Eats and be like a branded Uber Eats. Like, say you buy stuff from Amazon, right? You have Amazon Basics. What if, like, in a few years you're buying, oh, this is an Uber Eats pizza or it's an Uber Eats burger? You know, that that's the play in many ways going forward. Yeah, and it's getting very competitive. I mean... There's a lot of new startups that are coming out to try to be the next food delivery or try to capture, you know, all this growth and market share that we're seeing um, for restaurants and cloud kitchens. Like, I think the average commission or fee for these delivery apps for restaurants is like 25 to 30 percent of their sales, um, I believe. And so, you know, it's you with it's pretty high. Um, I think that's. It is hurting restaurants a little bit. They are losing um, what they're gaining in um, more orders and sales. You know, they're getting hit on the other side with these fees um, that these businesses are charging. So there is an opportunity to, you know, compress that fee a little bit. And we're seeing other startups come out and try to um, take the different approach of not having such high uh, fees and trying to get down to 15, 13%. Uh, to make it more make it more sense for restaurants, but also just have an advantage um, and have restaurants go with them versus the big big players. Right, and think think about this as the decision. Right, it's your you're gonna go out there and make a restaurant business, right? And you're gonna think like, am I gonna do uh, brick and mortar? Or am I gonna do 100 percent delivery? Like we were talking about earlier, like because you can't really fight the delivery services you can't fight with their fees right there's not much you can do with that so somehow you have to optimize the margin and so if you can't if you can't fight against the 30 the 20 to 30 percent um essentially tax that they have on you then what are you going to do try to reduce as much as you can how much you're spending on you know creating restaurants 
So let's say there was a couple of places, like let's take as a use case, um, you know, I don't know, Habit Burger, let's say. There's only a few places, like Matt, picture this in the future. There's only a few places you can experience a Habit Burger in a Habit restaurant. But maybe the entirety of the US can now access access um, Habit Burgers, right? How do they do that? It's just a bunch of fucking cloud kitchens everywhere. And it'll be a novelty to have the Habit Burger in person in experience. So it's, it, it is really interesting to see where this could go. You know, we think about In-N-Out being a West Coast product. Like In-N-Out could be spread out everywhere, but you could only experience it in the West Coast in person if their strategy was next to create cloud kitchens all over the, the country. It makes me think about how risky it is to start a restaurant. Um, I think there's a wealth stat I saw that 60% of restaurants fail within their first year. 80% of all restaurants won't see their fifth anniversary. So opening up a restaurant is probably the riskiest business you can open up because there's so many variables. You can get killed by reviews. You can get killed by you know regulation locally or federally. Fuel prices. Fuel prices. Kill you. Uh, crazy, rent, dude. You just pandemics. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's crazy. So the cloud kitchen approach makes a lot of sense. You know, financially, it makes sense with consumer tastes and how people are consuming their food nowadays. It makes sense. Um, And just reach. It makes a lot more sense uh, because of the massive amount of reach that you have and access to more customers. So... We've talked a lot about how, you know, restaurants are taking the opportunity of, you know, doing cloud businesses. What about the cloud companies themselves? Like, does that make sense for them to come into this market right now? These cloud kitchen companies, like when they were coming up on the news and we were learning more about like, oh, shit, there's a shadow industry that's happening for these restaurants. I couldn't help but think of cloud kitchens as becoming a WeWork use case. You know what I mean? Because essentially what WeWork is doing is just buying buildings and then creating an experience for you by, you know, making it look pretty or something. They're essentially a real estate company. There's some functionality that's added to the product, but you know, that's not something a commercial real estate company couldn't do, right? To the extent that they do is is a little bit different. But it reminds me of that case because for a cloud kitchen, you essentially you know, buy an entire location, um, maybe massive leases, right? And then you rent out the spaces to these restaurants, okay? And so what are you? You're essentially a real estate company, right? So I guess what are the things that um, give Cloud Kitchens a competitive advantage? So now one thing that, is a big thing for food is safety you know all the safety standards that you need to follow because you're giving you're serving people food so it's hard for you to scale a product without having necessary controls for that safety standards to scale as well so you would still only see companies with the capital to be able to invest on on a scale that would not diminish the food quality or the safety of the products. 
Also, on scale, your sourcing becomes way better. You can source from not from your Trader Joe's or your Whole Foods. You source straight from, I guess, the farmers and stuff. So uh, there's a lot of operational expenses that they actually negate by having enough size and reach. And obviously, partnerships, right? You're big enough. You can partner up with DoorDash and Uber Eats, and then you get you ensure that this partnership, you cut in a deal that makes sure that your kitchens are on top of the list. So they are searching for Mediterranean food. It's your Mediterranean kitchen that shows up. So another thing that's really important is for restaurants uh, or cloud kitchens uh, to basically compete with all these other kitchens is reviews, you know, having a good uh, solid customer base, making sure that your branding is on fleek and looking good, your website landing page and your branding. That's, you know, branding, a brand can be crippled in one night or, and it takes 10 years to build one. Um, Funny story on how branding affects how people order their food is this better be funny they shut down good old chuck e cheese they got all this dough and pizza lying around what do they do well they don't put their 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 pizzas uh for sale on doordash as chuck e cheese pizza who's going to order chuck e cheese pizza what they did was they changed their name to pasquale's pizza and wings changed the logo and no one had any idea that it was Chuck E. Cheese pizza. Dude, that's a scam. That's a consumer. That's I have, We have to report that to uh, what? Consumer, consumer protection. That shows you that, you know, these cloud kitchens are on the rise. You need to think twice about where your food comes from. And the food industry is going to look a lot different in the future. There still are better alternatives for someone that might be thinking about opening up a food business. Uh, or restaurant, you know, you might want to think twice about opening up a food restaurant. Maybe cloud kitchens are the route to go. If also you're already a restaurant owner, you should consider thinking about your expansion strategy involving a hybrid of cloud kitchens as well. Expansion could be great. You don't have to be physically located in the neighborhoods that you serve. Hey, thanks so much for listening to our show this week. You could subscribe to us. And if you're feeling generous, well, you could even leave us a review. Trust me, it goes a long, long way. You could also follow THC at THC underscore pod on Twitter and LinkedIn. This is Things Have Changed.